Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't have that Welcome to Give Me Those Star Wars, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and my guest this time is a video game writer whose credits include the award-winning Bioshock Infinite for Irrational Games and Saints Row III for Volition. He currently works at Ubisoft Montreal for a top-secret project that he won't tell me about, but I'm assuming <laughs> it's like a cross between Modern Warfare and Tetris. Probably. <laughs> Please welcome to the show one of my oldest friends, Drew Holmes. Thank you for coming on the show, Drew. Thanks for having me, dude. It's been We've been trying to do this for a while. It's glad it finally worked out. Yeah, I, I've actually been avoiding it for the longest time until, we've, <laughs> we, until we met at the wedding the, uh, a couple months ago. And I was like, all right, now I've got to invite him. <laughs> for every new guest on the show, I have to ask the same question. How and when did your Star Wars experience begin? Oh, geez. It starts so early that I don't even remember when it started. Because we, we, we grew up watching the movies, right? And I remember my earliest uh, memories of Star Wars is sitting down at like my uncle's watching uh, Empire like on VHS over and over and over again to the point that it was, it's just sort of it's saturated in your brain as a kid. And so you never like the great like Darth Vader as Luke's father reveal and, and everything sort of twists and turns in all the original trilogy doesn't register because there was never that revelatory moment yeah. because you just grow up watching it all. And so it just sort of washes over you and it, it just becomes like this distant memory that, that I sort of envy the people that that got to watch those movies uh, when they were a little bit more uh, conscious, I guess, or <laughs> cognizant of what was uh, what was happening. And But that was, you know, and having all the, the classic uh, Star Wars toys growing up as a kid. And it was funny because then it, it sort of drifted, and it wasn't until we started to hang out like late junior high and into high school mm-hmm. that I got really pulled back into it with like the Zon books and the comics. I remember like borrowing all like the Dark Forces uh, comics from you and the the Dark where, where, where Dark was Empire. The, the one with, yeah, Dark Empire. That's what it was with the fucking um, uh, clone emperors yep. and the old tales from the, the tales from the old Republic. All that shit was was like that was like all of a sudden I was like oh my god there's there's so much more of this that I had never realized there's so many more stories and like this is like cool it allowed me to sort of re-embrace that that young nerdy side of me that I had suppressed with sports <laughs> fool <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you brought you brought up a question I I was talking about this with somebody else too like I can't imagine like what it was like hearing that I am your father moment and then yeah. having to wait three years yeah exactly, to find out the next if one. that was even true like. Well, because like that's the thing is is like your brother right was old mm-hmm. enough to sort of just enjoy it in in its full glory and it, it, for us we're just I feel like we were sort of deprived and then as a reward we got the the prequels <laughs> and that was just so sad and depressing. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I still remember like what was it like uh, yeah uh, uh, us watching like the Phantom Menace and trying to, or maybe it was just me mm-hmm. trying to convince myself that it was good. After we saw it the first time and Omar being like, no, guys, it really was bad. We're going, no, no, you don't understand. And over time, as you start to watch it again and again and you start to learn what is good and what is bad, you go, oh, no, it really was awful. 
as accurate as that is, and yeah, because we saw that movie way too many times in the mm-hmm. theater, convinc- mm-hmm. trying to convince ourselves of, that what we were seeing was really, really good, and mm-hmm. history would would reflect better on it. <laughs> and then it just became the worst thing in history. Mm-hmm. Over time, I've come back around and think that there are a few things that I can defend about The Phantom Menace. Not the script or the directing or the sure. cast. The, the, the actor, sure. really. like, you know, the things that you think about. The things, that, the things that are supposed to be good in a movie to define a good movie. Right. No, none of those are present. <laughs> but there are a few other things. Um, mm. And uh, maybe in a future episode, I'll actually clarify more about that. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so... Yeah, we had that. We grew up with that. Uh, so we, we, we choose to reflect more on the stuff that when we were really, really young. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, speaking of the, the Star Wars movies <clears throat> when we were kids, the ones that we grew up with, the ones that we saw in the theater, speaking of all of Star Wars, uh, that'll bring us to our topic for today. And usually I'll do a short Star Wars current events segment at the beginning of the episode with a spoiler warning for anybody listening that we might touch on material for upcoming movies, games, books, etc. And if you don't want spoilers, you can skip that segment. But this time, that's pretty much all we are talking about. This is a Star Wars news episode, our recap of Star Wars Celebration 2017, which was held in Orlando, Florida on April 13th through the 16th. So, if you're the sort of person who would normally skip over the current events segment, I guess you'll skip this entire episode, or uh, maybe you can come back when I do listener feedback at the end. The only other warning I'll give you is that you heard me say this year's celebration was held over four days, and there was a ton of cool stuff that went down. Drew and I are not going to cover everything. We certainly don't have time. But you can get pretty thorough recaps of the event at the website StarWarsNews.net, and you can also go to the official Star Wars YouTube page because they streamed most, if not all, of their panels throughout the weekend. What Drew and I are going to cover is four big topics. The 40th anniversary panel, the Star Wars Battlefront 2 video game, new Star Wars animation projects that are coming up, and the Last Jedi panel. So, let's begin the way Celebration started off on Thursday with the 40th anniversary panel. And it was, to put it pretty simply... This is your life, George Lucas. <laughs> uh, it was hosted by Warwick Davis. Uh, the guests that came out included George Lucas, of course, uh, Lucasfilm current president Kathleen Kennedy, the executive producer of the Clone Wars and Rebels cartoon Dave Filoni, Ian McDermott, Hayden Christensen, Liam Neeson, and Samuel L. Jackson, who both like video conferenced in, uh, Billy D. Williams, Anthony Daniels, and Peter Mayhew, Mark Hamill, and the big surprise for a lot of people was that Harrison Ford actually showed up for the first time mm-hmm. to one of these. Big picture, what did you think about this panel overall? I, I, I thought it was uh, it was a cool nostalgia trip. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, I mean, there was nothing that sort of that hasn't been covered a thousand times. Um, but it was, I, I guess, the interesting thing for me was sort of looking at Lucas now in a, in a very sort of new light. Now that he's sort of he's handed over the reins uh, of the franchise to to Disney and Kathleen Kennedy. It's interesting watching him when he was talking about why he made the movies and the, sort of the purpose of, of you know it was always meant for twelve year olds and, and that all of course initially got people so upset. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting, sort of now having done work in like done creative work now for for ten some odd years, 
when you first think back to the, the, the prequels, right, and, and sort of seeing what the original trilogy was, seeing now he has complete control of the prequels, and uh, and as a fan thinking, you know, oh, he's ruining things, and you you know you see the red letter media uh, sort of takedowns of everything that he's done. It's interesting seeing him as a as a person and as a creator and as someone who writes and directs something that it sort of takes on a life of its own. It, it becomes something that you never intended it to be. And I've had moments in my life now where you interact with people who something that you've worked on or something you've created touches them in such a deeply emotional level and is, is so revelatory for them. And you don't necessarily share that same connection, even though you've created it. It, it. it creates this weird distance, right? And you can see that happening in Lucas as all this stuff is going on. It's just when Warwick was, was talking, sort of asking him about the the genesis of the of the idea, right? And he was just going, well, it was something that sort of it didn't all come forth in one burst, right? It was it was an iteration, and it was lots of rewriting, even on set. He's rewriting. I think people sometimes give him the short shrift for not creating something that that is immediately perfect in their minds when it's really it this is the thing that he just sort of made up and he made it up as he went along mm. and some of it was really good and some of it was not so good but that's sort of the nature of the beast so i guess it's it's a very long-winded way of, of me saying that it was nice to really sort of see him as a as the creator and the writer and the director and have an appreciation of that now and and sort of walk through memory lane with with, with uh, that sort of 40th anniversary celebration, and and just sort of and, and just be, be able to appreciate uh, everything that was created and, and has sort of spun out uh, since. Yeah, it definitely seems a little bit more human now. Mm-hmm, in, in mm-hmm. And and I'm sure as more time and distance goes on, and we see where the franchise is taken in ways that he might never have imagined. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. Uh, I am happy that he sold. I am happy that he sold the rights. Um, more than enough time had passed for him to to give up. It still burns me. Maybe the attitude that he had when he was doing the prequels, um, mm-hmm. because. As you said, I think Star Wars became something that meant more to the fans than mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if he was trying to reclaim it by being so possessive and proprietary about the prequels when he was making them. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know what was in his head. I definitely, It definitely struck the you know that nostalgia factor. And as you're listening to him talk with a distance, knowing that he is not shaping this world and we're not going to get another movie like Attack of the Clones or something like that, feeling like, okay, I, I don't have to carry it. I don't have to hold a grudge against this guy anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's easy to be there. So that might have been the best part about the panel. Well, no, it, it wasn't the best part. There were two things that were a lot better. But they were. it was definitely nice seeing that moment and kind of getting yeah. that, being able to talk to him from this distance again. I agree. Well, and the thing that's really interesting too is if, if when he, he was talking, I forget the guy's name, the exec uh, producer of um, Rebels now. Uh, Dave Filoni. Yeah. So, and and I've also heard it from other writers that have worked with him on Clone Wars and things like that. Is is that his ability? He really does mentor young creatives and sort of allow teach them what he's learned. Like he's a, he's from what I understand, he's a very good teacher. He's a very generous in terms of uh, of sort of. Uh, creative masterminds, uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 for lack of a better word, um, he's not someone from what I hear on the creative side that is is a dick to work with, right? Like people genuinely do enjoy working with him, and for and and he doesn't pull punches um, in terms of of what people pitch in ideas. It just it, he's going to teach you, he's going to show you what does and and what doesn't work, and he's going to tell you why. And from what I understand. 
most of the time he's right. And that's just because he's been making movies for, you know, 60, 50, 60 odd years mm-hmm. that you there's there's a craft that you learn that may not always be executed in artistry, but you know how to get shit done and make shit. And, and I think that that is something that especially on the consumer side, the fan side, I don't think is, is appreciated enough because ultimately it doesn't matter. Like you want something you want to watch something that's good and you don't care how or why it was made right but i think i think in terms of when you are a writer or when you are a director like the ability to make something is so valued that <laughs> it, 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 it's that's knowledge that he sort of passes on to to other people that he works with that is invaluable yeah were there anything about some of the cast interviews and some of the guests that came aboard that you thought were noteworthy or were cool uh just the fact that i'm i, I can't believe that uh, peter mayhew is still alive <laughs> um, I don't know how much longer he got. I I, um, I really thought they were going to kill off Chewbacca in the Force Awakens because of Peter Mayhew's yeah, health. I don't concerns. know how much longer he's got, but God bless him. Like I, I most people that size don't uh, don't last long, and, and he's yeah. he's still going strong. Um, the Warwick Davis stuff was was cool. Like I had forgotten that he was eleven when they shot Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, and it's like imagining, you know, I mean, it's I guess it's a lot like. Um, the cute little kid that had played Anakin in Phantom Menace, or right? Jake like Lloyd. it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's uh, it being a kid and being aware of the sort of majesty of Star Wars, and then being able to to take part in it, it's got to be super cool. And it was a great, it was it was it was pretty cool seeing like the little pictures and the, the letter that that he had written, yeah. um, and like and, and hanging out with his uh, his little Star Wars toys. I mean, the other thing too was just um, and then having Harrison Ford there. It's uh, and, and, it was like it, you get something because he shows up and he graces the audience, but he's still mm-hmm. gonna sit there and bat and trash the, this mm-hmm. whole process. Like I don't like this thing. <laughs> but it's you know it's the um, it's the salty grandpa, yeah. right? And I and I think that the reason he came back one is because you know he was assured that he wasn't gonna have to do anymore, right? But I think much in the way that George Lucas, uh, you could tell that he sort of maybe bristled a bit at the sort of fan ownership and i think harrison ford did as well mm-hmm. um certainly in terms of way more than he ever did with Indiana jones right he still he still is going to play indiana jones one more time but i think with with distance and time nostalgia helps and i'm sure the money helps too but i i i think that those guys are sort of reaching a point in time that they recognize uh there was something of value, even that they sort of probably do see it as a bit nerdy. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher certainly embrace it way more than, than Harrison Ford did. But um, it's nice sort of seeing him warm a bit and acknowledge. I mean, of course, he, he said it right. Like without George Lucas, he, he's nothing. Right. Right. And uh, I think that it's such a big part of everyone's lives that it's it's nice just to have him not be surly grandpa all the time about it. <laughs> At the other end of the spectrum, I was I was a little bit surprised that Hayden Christensen was there. I guess I wasn't surprised. I mean, I, I think that I knew ahead of time that he was probably mm-hmm. going to be there. The openness and the warmth with which the fans seemed to embrace him, I think mm-hmm. maybe just something about the fact that this was the 40th anniversary. It's Star Wars Celebration. You're buying mm-hmm. your ticket and you're flying down there because you love right. this. And, and right. most people probably love it unconditionally, right. um, unlike those of us who pick and choose what we love about it. But mm-hmm. um it was nice that he was able to just kind of be there. He he seemed comfortable enough. He could tell stories about positive experiences with him. Mm. I still, I'm I'm never gonna warm up to him. I'm never gonna think that he was a good choice. I kind of he still looks creepy. I think he, looks, he still <laughs> looks it, like a stalker teenager. Even it's also, I mean, it's it's 
it's so hard, right? And so much of it is not his fault. Oh, no. Um, and you mentioned – you brought up like Jake Lloyd. Like I mentioned like that kid has gotten death threats and his life yeah, turned exactly. into a total train wreck. Yeah, yeah. And all because he was in this movie when he was a little kid that he had no mm-hmm. control of. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I, if it, I feel sorry for anybody. I feel sorry for the, the 10-year-old. But. Yeah, no, and, it's, and, it, and it sucks because on the one hand, you know – Hayden Christensen as an actor, right, wants to come to work and, and sort of and do the and he, he has done like you know Shattered Glass is is a pretty solid performance uh, from him so he certainly has talent it's just you know it's when you're attached to a property um, that is so much bigger than you and and in this age of fandom where where yeah. people feel not just ownership of the things that they like but feel like they are owed yeah. Uh, certain things about it, and it, it, that it, if it goes against the expectations, then there's such a visceral reaction to it. Uh, sucks a lot. Now that being said, right, like it's not it. It's certainly not something you want to put on an acting demo reel. <laughs> um, but you know, the script doesn't do him any favors. The fact that they were doing. They were using so much green screen and so much new technology that never done for it. Like the thing is, like we're uh, I'm shooting a, a game right now that still must be remain remaining top secret, but we're you know we're shooting mocap and we're on a stage um, and we're building props out of nothing, right? And we're saying to the actors, right, like you use your imagination, and it's so it's so tough. Like you've got to you've got to cast so well. Like you've got to find people who do a lot of theater, right. That are really fueling, using their imagination to fuel performances. And when you get a lot of, you know, people that just do film a lot, it's, it's really tough to, to go to those places where you're just playing like a kid again. And those movies were shot. I mean, like 70 to 80% was on a soundstage in a, in a, on a, on a, uh, with the green screen, right. Mm-hmm. No matter how many times you shoot it, you're still not going to be, able to pull off a really convincing performance because there's nothing there there's nothing for you to work on so it's it's just it was sort of the i I think it's this weird confluence of not maybe the best talent not certainly not the best script a director who doesn't really or not doesn't really does not know at all how to direct actors right it it just it just kind of it's unfortunate but at the same time he made lots of money off it and i don't <laughs> think he's i don't think he regrets the decision one second i'm sure he doesn't he's at least got a number of action figures off of him so. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um moving forward just towards the end I, I mentioned that there were two other things about this panel that i thought were were better the first and foremost was the tribute to carrie fisher Mm-hmm. Um, I I watched it once and I just finished crying over it about an hour ago. <laughs> um, uh, that was and it, it opened up with a a tribute by her daughter Billy Lord. Uh, oh, I also I thought it was classy that Warwick Davis mentioned that she wasn't the only one who passed away this year. Also, mm-hmm. Kenny Baker, who played R two D two, also mm-hmm. died last year. But yeah, the the tribute montage video it's on YouTube. I will put a link to it on this uh, on this episode. It was. It was amazing, and her like it's still. I'll watch like an old piece, something that she did, even something non-Star Wars related, mm-hmm. and it just sucks. <laughs> it just, yeah, it, it really sucks that she's gone. And I think, yeah, especially because it, it feels like um, the general public and, and myself in, included in this was just sort of remembering what she brought, right? In in terms of uh, her intelligence, um, her humor. Um, her fierceness Mm -hmm. you don't see a lot of people in hollywood who are just sort of unapologetically themselves 
and the um, the amount of work that she had done uh, in terms of when she was working as a screenwriter um, yeah. in Hollywood and and her books. I haven't read any of her books, but from what I understand, she was just a very gifted writer. She was just a very she was certainly a gifted actress that did. She could have done. She could have probably continued to go down the. Hollywood actress route, right, and, and and sort of faded from. She she, I, for I think she was uh she was incredibly adaptable, mm-hmm. and knew uh where her talents were, and um yeah it's it, it sucks it's it, it it I remember it was like over Christmas right and it was like New yeah. Year's it was right after she died mm-hmm. yeah I remember I, I was at the I was visiting my parents and I was just like oh man. Carrie Fisher had a heart attack and then like three days later oh fuck Carrie Fisher died. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate. Like that sucks. Like it's just like, oh man, it's like end of an era. Yeah, I do think you're right. I think people were just sort of remembering her with coming back with the Force Awakens, but also just like the interview circuits she would do like, mm-hmm. as they were promoting mm-hmm. it, like mm-hmm. seeing her bring her dog on Good Morning America. Or whatever, yeah. Just... Well, that's and that's what I, I I loved about those interviews is it is she just. She cut through all the bullshit. She understood mm-hmm. the absurdity of it all, and that's what I, I really, really appreciated. Like, I've done you know PR like interviews before for for stuff that I've worked on, and, and so much of it is put on the happy face and, and sell us on the thing. And you do that for a bit, but after a while, you just got to get tired of it, and you're like, you know what? Like, let's just you just want to cut through the bullshit and just talk about something else for five minutes. I think, and, and recognize the absurdity of it all. I think she and Harrison Ford probably have very similar understandings of their business, like yes. the world and everything. They just react to it two different ways. Yeah, 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 she, yes. She she comes at it with satire and snark and, and humor, mm-hmm. which in a way is her way of just living in, living with it and enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And Harrison Ford is just belligerent and, and yes. angry and, yes. and turns yes. back to it. Yes, uh, I think I'd probably fall in Harrison Ford camp yeah, over time. Probably. <laughs> uh, and then the final thing after the tribute to Carrie Fisher, that segued into a, a short little mini concert performed by John Williams and his orchestra. They started off playing the theme to Princess Leia, and then they went into the mm. greatest hits. Just really, really cool uh, seeing what that guy can still do at his age. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to uh, something that is sort of in your ballpark, Star Wars Battlefront Um, Mm 2. It's good to have you on this topic because you were in the gaming industry, and that Mm -hmm. is sort of a blind spot for me. Now, I did sample the first Battlefront game for about half an hour, uh, Mm -hmm. just running around like the practice mode as Boba Fett. Did you play the first one? I did. I I played a few hours of it. Yeah. As I understood it, I mean, my friend Paul got it, and he was really excited for it. He, you know, couldn't wait. It was a big deal. Like, he got the PS4 just to play that game. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the first thing he told me is, like, this crushing disappointment because it didn't have a campaign mode. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he's not an online gamer. He doesn't play, like, with other people. So it was really limited what he could use for it. And I'm sort of in that same boat. That's why I didn't Mm -hmm. get it. So with this second one, Battlefront 2... That is one of the major things that they have added is this campaign mode. And it is a story that takes place after the Battle of Endor. You can take the part of an Imperial Special Forces commander uh, from something called Inferno Squad, and there's going to be tie-ins to that. 
is this an obvious smart move for the company? Is this EA? Is there are they the ones doing this? Yeah, it's it's EA. It's actually it's a bunch of people uh, companies. It's EA. Um, EA's the publisher. It's Dice in Stockholm. They you sort of do all the Battlefield and Battlefront games because um, it's the big sort of huge multiplayer uh, team. Mm-hmm. The studio doing the single player is um, actually EA Motive up here in Montreal. Okay. So I know a couple of the guys that are that are working on it and. Um, a buddy of mine, Mitch Dyer, is, is co-writing the single player, and it's. it's I mean, I have to be. I have, I'm in an odd space because <laughs> working at a at a sort of rival company, um, I have to be sort of. You know, it, it's. I don't want to sort of speak out of turn uh, about certain things, but I do know that Mitch in particular and all those guys at Motive are, are huge, huge Star Wars fans. Um, like I, I, I've talked to Mitch a couple times about Star Wars, and he just goes off on these tangents about the books and the comics and the shows, and I'm like. <laughs> I have no fucking idea what you're talking about, <laughs> but it sounds cool. Um, but they're, they, it, it's interesting that they're, they're very, very closely tied to the Lucasfilm story group mm-hmm. and everything that is in that game is going to be canon in yeah. the star Wars universe. So they're, they're, you know, all the infernal squad stuff apparently relates to the first order. They've, they've, they've walked through everything and, and, and have everything vetted and cleared by the Lucasfilm story group. So I think what's cool about that, that's cool in terms of the transmedia buzzword, right? Where um, the the goal is to have games and comics and TV and film all sort of telling one shared universal story. Yep. It's but most people don't have the resources to, to pull that off. But when you've got a company like Disney having to deal with EA, right? That certainly that certainly helps a lot. Um, and I'm I'm super pumped to to play it. Um, it's been a while since we've had a, a single player Star Wars game. I think it was probably the last one was. Uh, uh, what was the nice. game with Star Killer? No, oh well, yeah. So there was Nice of the Republic, but then there was like the because um, that was the MMO. But oh, then yeah. it was the um, God, the one where you played the Jedi, the, the the evil Jedi dude. I know what you're talking. The about. hell was the name of that game? See, this is where like my experience with a lot of Star Wars video games. It's the Return of the Jedi for Super Nintendo. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Dark Forces beta. Like I don't even mm-hmm. think like, it was the full game for like the PC. <laughs> I think I could only play three levels, and then it mm-hmm. just like said you're done. Um, yeah. And then the Knights of Terraskazi fighting game. I think those. Oh the only, God, I remember the that. Star Wars games. I that think I we used to play that at JTs all the time, <laughs> or at least I did. Oh, it was so strange <laughs> yeah and then there was like actually there, there was a there was a great game a few years back it was on i think the original xbox it was star wars republic commando oh yeah it was just yep. a shooter where you were playing as um clone troopers yep. it was pretty fucking good it was pretty good i i enjoyed that a lot um yeah it's 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 gonna be cool i, I ea got uh has has signed some deal with um with disney to be the sort of core publisher of uh all future star wars games so I think we're just now starting to see the sort of the fruits of that uh, coming out in the next couple of years. Cool. And one of the other things that's sure to get a lot of people excited uh, for the multiplayer mode, they mm-hmm. kind of expanded the world so that it's both in the prequel trilogy and the new sequel trilogy. Yeah. Like you can play as Darth Maul. You can play as Kylo Ren and Rey from The mm-hmm. Force Awakens too. And yep. By the time it comes out, I think it's going to be closer to The Last Jedi. Yeah, it should, Yeah, the game's supposed to be coming out as, I think it's the first week of November is when they're launching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's neat like uh it's the battlefront games uh very similar to sort of battlefield uh it's sort of class based big huge multiplayer skirmishes and capture the flag type stuff it's 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 great when you've got a you've got a team of people that you can play with like i used to play battlefield 4 with uh, a bunch of friends back in la it's when you've got like sort of your like your six man squad and you're just rolling around acting like idiots 
tossing mines on your motorcycle and driving out and, and blowing yourself up. It's a, it's, it's a good time. Um, but it's cool because it's, you know, the, the, you, the special characters like Maul and Yoda and all that stuff sort of act as like little power-ups. So the, the better you do or like you, it's like sort of like finding like a rocket launcher instead of finding a rocket launcher. Like you find Darth Maul and you can play as Darth Maul until you get killed. It's pretty cool. All right, then moving on to the next segment, which is new projects in the realm of Star Wars animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and only a few things that came out of this, but one of the first ones was they confirmed that this season, the fourth season of Star Wars Rebels, will be the final season. Uh, have you been watching the show at all? I have not. I hear amazing things about it. It's on like some Disney channel. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't have cable, and so I'm very confused on how to watch these things most of the time. It's on Disney XD, which I have uh, – it's, it's one of the apps on my, on my TV. Is it a uh, channel or is it just like it's, – it's like a subscription thing? I think it's like a subscription thing. Ah, um, I should but do it, that. You might, but it might be like a package. Like if you had, if you've got oh, HBO probably. or something, you might have it with something like that. Right. I've seen the first season and like the first episode of the second season. What is the time period that it takes place in? It starts about five years before the first Star Wars movie. Uh, okay. So it's it's in between the Empire is fully established, mm-hmm. um, and it as the name suggests, it, we are seeing sort of the seeds of what will be the Rebel Alliance developing. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and this is the one like they they officially introduced Thrawn into the new canon yeah, through Rebels. He right. Comes in, he comes in the third season now. I haven't seen okay. any of those episodes yet, and I was a little bit nervous about that. Mm-hmm. Um, just seeing such a beloved character handled in a different media, and also by somebody other than Timothy. He's on handling the character. But didn't he just write a new novel? He did, and it's supposed to tie into – it's kind of bridging the origin that he had for for Thrawn Mm -hmm. before – Disney took over and all the books mm-hmm. became non-canonical and also with the Rebels so they, they're supposed to be more of a smooth transition but it's also just, I don't know it's seeing Thrawn go up against characters who still feel inherently less than the heroes mm-hmm. I feel like Thrawn like, it, it, like if Thrawn ends up dying by the end of the series because of the characters from this series, I'm going to be like, you know what, that, he he deserved better than that. He deserved to go out <laughs> against Luke and Han and Leia and Chewie and the ones right. that we love. So right. I, I'm a little bit nervous about that. Um, but the show, as it started, I thought it was good. Like in the talking about the first season now, I thought it was good, but it did feel kid friendly. It felt like mm-hmm. it was it was geared for a younger audience. Mm-hmm. I felt like the writing and the storytelling did get more sophisticated over that first season, mm-hmm. and from what I've heard, it has gotten progressively more so. Uh, cool. and, and gone down a few like dark roads and actually the second and third season I know they picked up a lot of Easter eggs from the Clone Wars uh, series that came before it and so now I've tried to go back and watch the Clone Wars yeah I watched a few episodes of Clone it sucks because I, I, I had been watching it on Netflix when I was living in LA and then I moved to Montreal and Netflix Canada and Netflix US <laughs> don't have the same content oh. and everything like changed and I was like no I wanted it it might be back up. I'm not quite sure. I haven't checked in a while. <laughs> but uh, no, the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars was interesting. It was. It was also. It was. It was cool to sort of see characters like Obi Wan and Anakin that were. I, I feel like the prequels and the sort of the, the place that those movies live tonally mm-hmm. fits way better with animation than it does with live action. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's just like if you were to go back, if you were to do a reboot, not a reboot, but a remake of the prequels and do it with animation, I think it sits a whole lot easier because it really just kind of is 80 percent animation <laughs> yeah. and and humans just kind of awkwardly like walking around being like, I'm acting to a tennis ball. Hi, Watto. I, I think you're probably right. Natalie Portman's performance is probably better in animation. At least. <laughs> Not a knock against her, like we said. Like I, no, I, it's it's. There, there, were, there were a lot of talented actors in the prequels, and most of them did not come off looking good. Uh, so going back to the thing about Rebels is they said that season four will be their final season, and mm-hmm. they know this going ahead because I think one of the issues with the Clone Wars was when Dave Filoni was the showrunner, they didn't really know that they were going to end until shortly. Like They had to wrap up. They had to rush their mm-hmm. ending. Um, this time they're actually planning to build off of it, and uh, or they know where they're going. And yeah. a lot of the fates of some of these characters that fans have been uh, have been digging, like you know, I think a lot of people, much like with Rogue One, a lot mm-hmm. of people are expecting most of these characters to be killed off in some way just because mm-hmm. we don't know if anything happens after that other than a few mm-hmm. of them. Well, I, I think that's also a benefit Like with something like Rebels. It is still – in a way, you can sort of go with the Better Call Saul approach <laughs> yeah. um, to, to prequelism where it's – Rebels, because there are enough characters that aren't and, – and the events aren't necessarily tied. I, I'm, I'm sort of I'm, uh, reading between the lines. Mm-hmm. The, the events aren't directly tied to another property, right? Like it lives in that universe, but but the, those characters – the fates of those characters can sort of spin off in a, in a multitude of ways. You can create really good stakes and drama with what is the, going to be the fate of these as opposed to things like Rogue One that sort of – like there's no – outcome other than everyone dies which on its surface is super dramatic but because you know that it immediately lessens the stakes and lessens my engagement in it as an audience member because i know there's nothing that's going to be surprising uh moving forward which is which was uh it kind of sucks on the creative side yeah we'll we'll see how that turns out um i i definitely think when i get the chance uh i'm gonna get back into to rebels like i said i only watched the first season um, but leading into one other animation project that they mentioned, something called Forces of Destiny, mm-hmm. which is a series of animated shorts. Uh, I don't know how they're going to be available, if it's just going to be on YouTube or if they're going to be you know, streaming yeah. with, uh, on this Disney XD channel or something. But it's a series of animated shorts, and they're in-canon stories, and they feature, so far at least, they're focusing all on the female heroes of the saga. Mm-hmm. So there's at least one starring Rey that I guess takes place in the middle of uh, uh, The Force Awakens after she picks up BB-8. On yeah, that's great, because he was there. Yeah. yeah. And it's got Daisy Ridley is doing the voice. There's another short about Jin Erso with Felicity Jones doing the voice. Um, there's a Princess Leia story. There's a Maz Kanata story with Lupita Nyong'o doing the voice for that one. Uh, and then I think there are a few for some of the animated characters like Ahsoka from Clone Wars and mm-hmm. the, the girls from Rebels. So, again, I the, the idea of this, it just sounds really cool. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how it's going to be delivered or how the content is going to be available to the public. But, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it sounds like a cool idea. Yeah, no, it's it, it's always it, it's it sort of looked as uh, it looked like cool little bonus uh, stuff. It certainly looks like it's going to be uh, either YouTube something web based, right? Maybe 
tied to a Star Wars app or something I could see them doing. Yeah. It looked a lot like um, what uh, Disney did with the Marvel webisodes, right? Like with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or like sort of like small little bite-sized things that sort of tie larger plot holes together. Um, And I I think that that really when you look at what the purpose of them is – they're super useful because when you have properties, especially like sci-fi fantasy things, where they're and, – and when you've got movies that are moving at the at the speed that something like The Force Awakens is, mm-hmm. where you, you tend to have some sort of plot holes that you're just kind of barreling through because you've got to get to the next beat in the story. Doing that is sort of offshoot, fill your plot hole in or fill the backstory or sort of explain something that wasn't quite as clear in the movie. It's super helpful. Just because, you know, you have a, such a, a rabid fan base that is sort of going to devour every single piece of information as possible. It's like, OK, well, you, you know, th- there was some misconception about here or we wanted to clarify this sort of character point. So here's a, you know, a 10 minute, 15 minute uh, short that sort of like gives you a little bit more backstory on, on yeah. things like that. So I think it, I think it's cool. And I'm sure from the, the corporate standpoint, I mean, they're thinking even something like, you know, uh, I said the parents might have gone to see Rogue One and thought, you know what, it's too mm-hmm. adult or it's too dark for my kids. You know, mm-hmm. they might have a young daughter and I don't want to show this movie to my daughter. She's going to see Jin die at the end of it. Mm-hmm. But they show this little cartoon. All of a sudden, this girl knows who Jin Erso is mm-hmm. and maybe wants to go out and buy the toy of Jin Erso. Right. And exactly. that's, I mean, that's more money for Disney, so. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that'll help them. Yeah. So anyway, anyway I, don't, I don't know much more beyond that. I'm interested to hear more about it, but it looks cool. So I'm happy with that. Uh, let's move on to our final topic, which is the Last Jedi panel. Uh, and we will certainly get to our thoughts about the trailer at the end of this. But first, it was moderated by Josh Gad, who I thought he did a terrific job uh, moderating. Mm-hmm. Certainly, he showed his geek credentials. I don't think anybody <laughs> doubted them. Uh, guests on the panel included Kathleen Kennedy again, The Last Jedi writer and director Ryan Johnson, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, a new cast member, Kelly Marie Tran, and then, of course, Mark Hamill. Big picture thoughts overall on the panel? Uh, I'm super interested to see what Ryan Johnson does uh, with the movie. He's one of my favorite writer directors working right now, like Brick and Looper, I think are fantastic movies. He shoots really, really interesting. Uh, interestingly, um, it's going to be definitely way different. I mean, well, theoretically different tonally than, than JJ Abrams, who I also adore. But uh, I think it's, when we sort of look at a new trilogy, the second movie always probably ending on a much darker note. Like Ryan Johnson's movies aren't exactly sunshine and, 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 <laughs> yeah. and lollipops. Um, so I, I, I think uh, it, it, you know, we'll, we'll see sort of how much of his voice comes through in, in the movie. Um, I think when you sort of see what Disney and Marvel do in terms of the homogenization of the Marvel movies, it yeah. sometimes it's harder, although the, the Russo brothers, I think, have sort of really started to, to find themselves and, and, and create a really cool vibe uh, for their movies um, with the Captain America stuff. Uh, it, we'll see. We'll see how much his, his, his uh, vision gets gets sort of squashed. I, I think, um, the, what was it, Gareth Edwards that yeah. did Rogue One, I, I think in terms of visual style, that was certainly there. Um, I, I, the movie had I had larger issues with the movie outside from sort of the way that it was it was directed. Um, but I think it. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, that's ultimately is, is my feeling. 
Yeah, I haven't seen Johnson's other stuff. I haven't seen Brick or Looper yet. I, I definitely want to see them before I see The Last Jedi. But yeah. just from looking at the trailer, I was I was struck by the visual. What what mm-hmm. in terms of the cinematography, whether it's mm-hmm. him or his DP, it looked beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I know Kathleen Kennedy could not sing his praises enough in the panel. And I'm yeah. pretty sure he wrote the first draft for Episode Nine too. Uh, he's not directing I that. I think so. But, yes. Yeah. I, I don't. I. I don't know if they're getting someone. I mean, I'm sure they'll get someone else to sort of do another another pass. Yeah. But uh, yeah, from what I understood, he wrote the script, and I think he also did the story, or the outline for the third movie. Yeah. So it is it is continuing, and then it's Colin Trevorrow that's directing. Yeah, it's or? the guy who directed Jurassic World, which doesn't appeal to me because I didn't like that movie at all. But um, safety but, not guaranteed was pretty fucking good. Okay. Uh, I, I think he's got he's got some interesting talent. I think uh, Jurassic World was you know was Jurassic World. <laughs> it made a lot of money for that, so okay. Yes, whatever. it did. <laughs> One of the other things about the script and Johnson, he mentioned that he actually worked on some of the writing with Carrie Fisher. That I mean, she she'd been a script doctor in Hollywood mm-hmm. for years, as you mentioned. I think she kind of did a lot of that on this one too, as an unofficial script doctor. He said mm-hmm. he kind of related to her more as in as a writer than as you know an actress mm-hmm. in the movie that he had to direct. So mm-hmm. I think that'll be yeah. Just, yeah. It's it's cool. Like uh, there was um, I think it was around the time that she had died. Someone they they had released a um. One of her notes, like uh, it was a page from I think Empire, mm-hmm. where she had sort of done a pass on dialogue, right? Like, all her, like her fucking notes that she was making, and it basically took something that was on the page that was just kind of nonsense. <laughs> and she went, "No, no, no, no! Why can't you just say this?" And that's what ended up in the movie. <laughs> it's it's pretty cool. Johnson mentioned that the movie is in post-production, so they're pretty mm-hmm. far along. He showed some of his behind-the-scenes photographs, which looked really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought on cast members. Daisy Ridley said part of Ray's story is meeting her hero, Luke Skywalker, who maybe doesn't you know, live up to her expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably what a lot of fans felt when they saw him at the end of The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will admit like, I'm willing to give them enough room to say, okay, show me what you're going to do with this character, you know, mm-hmm. impress me. But I was mad when I saw The Force Awakens that they did this. I was like, really? Luke is just a failed Jedi master, pretty much exactly the same as Obi-Wan Kenobi was? I was like, we've, uh-huh. had, we've had no progress in the meantime? No. I was upset with that, and Mark Hamill seemed to be upset with that too, because he kind of voiced some of his dissatisfaction with his character's absence in, in The Force Awakens. Yeah, it was funny. He talked about all the training he had to do, and then he gets <laughs> to the end of the script, and he's like, wait, what? What? I don't... No, 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 no. No. I, I, need, I need more screen time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think it'll be, and he as much as kind of mentioned, not just in the panel, but in other things, in other interviews during Celebration, that I think he kind of, he he's not crazy about the way they took the character, but I think he recognizes that it's no longer the saga of Luke Skywalker. Right, like right. Like this trilogy, we, we need to get past that, and we need to say this is a story for this new generation. Right? Yeah, it, it has to thing. be. It yeah. has to be. No, you're not getting people... Uh, you're not winning new fans by continuing to tell the, the story of Luke Skywalker. And honestly, I, I think that it was also... It, Rogue One did real well, and they sort of sang the praises of Rogue One. But mm-hmm. I, I think the problem, when you talk about, oh, it expanded the Star Wars universe in, in film. And, and no, not really, because you're just telling a story in between a story that you already told involving a lot of characters that you've already seen. Like, it's not... 
it's not expanding things right. uh, in a way that it didn't break outside of the Skywalker silo, right? Where it's a galaxy far, far away, and it always seems to include the same four fucking people, right? Like, let's let's <laughs> kind of let's explore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's explore. I mean, I, I get you know thematically, and I get sort of the the, the characters' journeys and all that, but. Uh, I, if they're going to do, I mean, and the next, the next spinoff movie, right? Like next year yeah. is, is Han Solo. Right. So it's just like, okay, that's fine and dandy. But when you look at something like Marvel that can do the Avengers and then have huge success with guardians of the galaxy, that to me is expanding the universe. And then you can tie it back into each other. It's something that's so completely out there and separate, uh, and works on its own as opposed to here are the same four characters, but now they're younger and you're like, Oh, okay, I guess, uh, if it's good, it's good. Right. Like people will love it. But I just think that there's a lot left on the playing table on, on, on the playing field. Yeah. And I remember in the panel, like Mark was describing, you know, getting to that, the, the part in the in the force awakens, when Kylo Ren is reaching for the lightsaber after he's defeated Finn, and he's mm-hmm. reaching for the lightsaber, and it starts to move, and it flies through mm-hmm. the force, and it lands in Ray's hand, and Mark Campbell mm-hmm. kind of like freaked out about that when he read the script. He's like, "I thought that would have been a great entrance for my character." I would have walked out. I would have walked out of the fucking theater. And that's the, like I know a lot of people were saying that, but when I was seeing the movie, and I saw The Force Awakens seven times in the theater, so mm-hmm. you're welcome, Bob Iger. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the last times that I saw it, I'd seen it so much, it was I was on autopilot, so I stopped watching the movie at that point and started mm-hmm. watching the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a couple of rows up and to the left of me, there were three girls who looked – I don't even think they were high school, probably like junior high, maybe like mm-hmm. 12 years old-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, this probably the first Star Wars movie they've ever seen. Maybe they've seen the other ones. I don't know. But they didn't seem to like really know what was going on. They, they seemed kind of impressed. And when the lightsaber starts shaking and it flies through the air, and when it lands in Ray's hand, mm-hmm. their faces lit up mm-hmm. like in just total shock and adoration. They were just they were blown away. They couldn't believe it landed in her hand. That mm-hmm. it was going to be her. The girl was going to be in the final battle with Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the look on their faces, I was like, you know what? For all the fans, like people like us who grew up with Luke as our hero, mm-hmm. who, may, who maybe don't want to give that up, like, no, we, we had that time. It's, it's a new generation story. And mm-hmm. I would not give up like the look on those three girls' faces at that moment for the thousands of people at Star Wars Celebration who were hoping Luke would have had a bigger presence in the movie. Right. And maybe... Maybe Mark Hamill is too close to it, and, and he can't see that because it's the character that he has lived with for 40 years now. Oh, for sure. So, For sure. And I also think that it, it struck me – like Mark is not a dumb guy. I think some of it was also playing to sure, sure. the audience and sort of the audience's expectations. Uh, it, it's going to be really interesting to see or to see when it comes to Ray's heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've said multiple times that it, if – if she is Luke's daughter, it is stupid, nonsensical, and I am done with everything Star Wars because it doesn't make any sense at all. It's just bad writing. I agree. I think it breaks him as a character. And, yeah. and it also makes her less interesting, right? Yeah. Like it, because then it's 
it's all about the it goes it's the core problem with the midi chlorians right mm. where you took something that was magic and you made it you gave it a purpose and a science and and it sort of you you explained it yep. when you explain away the magic you you do so much harm to a movie like this right what was magical about luke in the first one was that he was just he was a nobody right mm-hmm. And then through this, he discovers that, oh, that there's this lineage and there's all this, right? But that sort of has become now, because of that, everyone's got to be related to someone else. And what it does is it weakens you as the sort of everyman character. Ray, right now, is in that same position of Luke as the everyman character. She may have some sort of really cool lineage, right, that, that is, that is going to spin her off in a story that's related to some other bad guy, that, that's fine, right, if they're doing that. But if you're tying it so closely to the Skywalker lineage, we've had six movies about this now. We don't need any more Skywalkers. I agree. Agreed. Other parts about the we mentioned that uh, Kelly Marie Tran was there. She's playing mm-hmm. a new character named Rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's apparently a maintenance worker working for the Resistance. And somehow, speaking of that everyman character, gets pulled into an adventure with Finn. And they're, I guess they're together for a big chunk of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know any more than that. Although Johnson did say she was the biggest of the three new characters. Uh, and I think... Yeah, which haven't ones, been revealed yet. Right. They didn't mention... I'm pretty sure the ones he's talking to, one is played by Benicio Del Toro and one oh, is played right. by Laura Dern. And I think Laura Dern is more of a diplomat member of like the New Republic or something like that who might mm-hmm. kind of come into conflict with Leia. Uh, Benicio Del Toro, I think he's some kind of villainous character, but I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know if he's in the First Order or if he's something else. I kind of want him to be sort of an independent agent, like a new crime lord, like he took over for Job the Hut, but mm-hmm. I have no idea. I, I heard somebody else say he's going to be like a bounty hunter. He's basically playing his character from Sicario <laughs> in Star Wars. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same guy, too. Like he's just, <laughs> yeah. He just shows up. <laughs> Two of the biggest things that came out of this were first the teaser poster, mm-hmm. um, which was my desktop wallpaper for a long time. <laughs> I just changed it the other day, but um, it shows Ray holding a lightsaber up, the blue one, in sort of a, a classic image that go, harkens back to some of the very first Star Wars posters. Yeah, the original poster with, with yeah, Luke and the, with, like, it looks, the, the big starburst sword. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's beyond the lightsaber form. It's sort of taken on mm-hmm. this crazy other shape. Uh, and then these split images of, we see Luke's face and Kylo's face, or half of them, mm-hmm. but just drenched in red. That is certainly mm-hmm. the predominant color for this. Uh, what do you think about the poster? Uh, I think it's evocative. Um, I think it uh, it 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 makes me want to know more about the movie, and in doing so, I think it does its job. Um, it's interesting to see Luke uh, as a bit of an angry motherfucker. Um, <laughs> it's you know, it's it's cool. Like I, I, I dig it. I like the simplicity of it. I like the retro quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, those mm-hmm. are the two things that I really really dig about it. The color contrast. I like that she's holding the blue lightsaber with everything else sort of red. Like it, it does make me think. Like it, it at least gives me hope that she is still going to be on the side of the angels. Because uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people have said, you know, she might be tempted and go down the dark side. And it's like, really, does does everybody have to do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but yes, I, and I think uh, sort of we'll, we'll spin into our discussion of the trailer. Yeah. And the 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 ominous line that Luke utters uh, at the end of it, and sort of the discussion that spun off into that. Yeah. Well, what did you think about the trailer? I, I already did a special episode with my brother last time where we talked about <laughs> just general. What did you think about the trailer? I thought it was cool. I, I thought that much. I mean, like, I, 
it was interesting watching it. I sort of felt it was like, oh, that that kind of feels like uh, like the, the the first teaser that they did for uh, Force Awakens, and mm-hmm. then it turns out it really was <laughs> the exact same, like beat for beat, which I thought was really, really was pretty cool. It doesn't give me a sense of story at all, uh, more so than than emotion. But I I, I think that uh, it, it sets a cool tone uh, overall for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it's it's interesting to sort of see, like when you get to the part like Luke's line about it's time for the Jedi to end. It's there are two ways I can sort of see it spilling uh, out of that. One is that all of the sort of uh, articles that have already been written about like philosophically right the jedi are bad and because it lives in a world of of black and white and luke is sort of saying that the world is more complex than that and even he himself doesn't embody the sort of purity that you see in the jedi from the prequels and because of that trying to reach that purity is what causes the fucking sith in the first place and it's more about achieving balance within yourself to fight the light and the darkness and then, then sort of creating, creating a utopia. Uh, so there's one angle, the other angle, you know, the sort of, sometimes the cigar is just a cigar <laughs> is that that scene is from like the first 15 minutes of the movie when Ray comes to him and is like, I need you to teach me to be a Jedi. And he's like, surly Luke. He's like, fuck that. I don't want to be a Jedi. Jedi are dumb. And I got him all killed. Fuck you kid. And then she sort of teaches him. Or he learns through her over, that the Jedi do need to, to to come back in order to save the galaxy. They both so learn a just, lesson about love. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like so. It's, it's it's one of those instances where like people sort of like take a trailer and like spin it off into all these fucking theories. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, but maybe <laughs> that scene also doesn't even exist in the movie, and we're just sort of creating. And this is sort of goes to that sort of uh, the, the 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 fandom like. Uh, it wasn't what I thought that it was in my head. And it's like, yeah, right. but that's not really the director's fault. <laughs> you, that's your fault. You created something that didn't exist. And now you're mad that it doesn't exist. That, and I, I learned my lesson with Rogue One. I don't think any of the shots in this teaser are going to be in the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> fool, fooled me once with Rogue One. The first two teasers <laughs> didn't have anything in the movie. I, yeah. Not yeah, going back exactly. to that one. So. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like it. You're, you're right. It didn't give us anything about the story, but I don't need anything about the story. I know I'm going to, they, I've already mm-hmm. bought my tickets for this one. I right, know they, right. they have me and I'm pretty sure just because the movies aren't coming out three years apart anymore, mm-hmm. they know that the audience they have for the force awakens is going to be there and probably more people too. Yes, so exactly. They don't need to show off a lot of story points. I think you're right. This was more about establishing tone, mm-hmm. um, just evocative imagery, the visuals that I saw, I loved. Uh, so, you know, come September or October, I think we'll get another one. And yes. if it's just more like this, I think I'll be happy with that. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, Ryan Johnson has a really, really good eye. Yeah. Um, the stuff that he shoots is, is it dark. There's generally a really, really smart twist involved. Um, so, uh, that those are sort of the, knowing him as a writer director, that's what I'm prepping myself for, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, it, but it, it, at the same time, it's, um, I, I find myself or, uh, over the years, like watching less and less trailers and certainly doing less homework on, on the movie I'm about to, to see, because, you know, like I was saying, you know, you, you sort of build up an idea in your head about what the thing is going to be. And then the disappointment comes in and not being that. And so it, I find it, it's much easier to then just don't give yourself any of the, the sort of fuel that you're going to do. If you just sort of – the blinder you go in, the more enjoyable 
the experiences uh, tend to be. And so I, I'll watch a trailer here and there, um, and then I just go, you know, what? screw it, I'm going dark because I know the way that my brain works. And if I watch two or three trailers, or I watch a vignette, or I watch a, a featurette. I'm going to go, oh, I bet this, this, and this. That's what I do, and then that's not what happens. And I go, oh, it's stupid. I don't like this movie. <laughs> All right, people. You, you heard it from Drew. If you're planning <laughs> to see The Last Jedi, don't listen to any more of these podcasts. Episodes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Delete all, it from your iTunes. All we're doing is ruining it for you in advance. <laughs> um, yeah, any final thoughts about Star Wars Celebration? As a whole, I, I mean, I think this, if I was ever going to go to one, this would have been the one to go because of the 40th mm-hmm. anniversary. 40th anniversary. Everything, kind of the, the, the hype, the, the nature of it. I know a lot of people are like, oh, man, I'm going to go next year. I'm like, I, they, I doubt they have anything really next year. Well, but I, I actually don't think they're even – I thought they said that they were the next one was going to be like 2019 or something. Like they're skipping a year or two? They might. Well, because – well – Next year, if celebration is usually in April and Han Solo mm-hmm. is coming out in May, I don't, yeah. I don't know why they're having it in May instead of December. Yeah, I, I think like they announced when the next one was going to be, and it was actually it was it was quite a ways off. It was so, it was more than a year, I think. So yeah, it might not be until. So maybe they're planning it to be more about whatever episode the next, nine. Ends yeah, up episode being nine. Yeah, yeah, that's very possible. And and that makes sense. I mean, it, it'd be hard to follow this, and people might need a break. So yeah, yeah, that's so. true. Anyway, Drew, before you go, you must answer the Star Wars Galactic questionnaire that all guests oh, on the show have to answer. So you say you said you hadn't done any homework, but too bad. So. <laughs> all right, question one. Kylo Ren's lightsaber or Darth Maul's lightsaber? Uh, Kylo Ren, because I'm pretty sure I'd chop a leg off with Darth Maul. <laughs> uh, question two. X-Wing fighter or TIE fighter? Tie fighter, it's faster and more more maneuverable. All right, number three, better sidekick for Lando, Lobot or Nian Num? Uh, Nian Num for sure. Nice, good job. Question four, you're going away for a while and you decide to Airbnb your home. Who do you rent to? Jar Jar Binks or a family full of Jawas? Oh shit! Well, either way, none of my shit's gonna be here when I return. <laughs> it's gonna be broken if Jar Jar's here, and it's gonna be just fucking gone. <laughs> if it's the fucking Jawas. So I'm going to go with Jawas because they drive a giant truck and I can track them down. <laughs> yeah, they're slow moving. <laughs> yeah. I think literally crawls over sand. <laughs> it's not hard to follow them. So. Uh, question five. Would you rather spend a year working on Uncle Owen's farm or one night dancing for Jabba the Hutt? The pay is oh. the same. <laughs> oh. um, I'm going to go, well... Yeah, I'm going to go with Lars. I could use me some blue milk, and I'm not going to get eaten by a rancor if I (laughs) make someone mad. Question number six. You're piloting a rebel snowspeeder. Which celebrity do you want as your tail gunner? Oh, not Mark Hamill, because that means I'm going to die. I'm going to go with uh, Harrison Ford, because he's surly, and he'll help me blow things up. (laughs) You can be surly together. Mm Mm-hmm. And the final question, what's the first thing that Luke says to Rey after The Force Awakens? Oh, Jesus. Um, did you bring any snacks? <laughs> yeah, what has he been eating? Yeah, seriously, there didn't look like there was a lot of food on that island. It's just all those shitty sticks that he was, like that Yoda was stealing from him <laughs> in Empire. They're just like really stale now, and they, like, they crack, and it's like he like, breaks your teeth. <laughs> 
Occasionally a seagull lands there, but I think they yeah. get wise to it. So maybe he just like fishes a lot. Like he uses the force to just pull up fish and bring them to him. <laughs> just yeah, just oh, that's cheating. Just force, force fishing. Force, force, force fishing. <laughs> All right, very good. All right, well, Drew, any projects or anything you want to promote before you go? Uh, I can't at this time, um, <laughs> but uh, hopefully soon I'll have stuff to talk about. Uh, but yeah, uh, other than, you know, pay attention to Ubisoft Montreal in these next coming months leading up to E3. All right, we will. And whatever, whenever they announce it, I'll make sure to plug it on the show. So thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. It was great to talk to you again about this stuff. Yeah, dude, thanks for having me on, buddy. Okay, folks, we're going to take a short promo break right now. And after that, I will be back with listener feedback from the previous episodes. Don't go away. Hello, this is Ashford from Feathers and Foes and the Batgirl Cassandra Kane podcast. As some of you know, I do a show called Straight Outta Gallifrey, where we discuss Doctor Who episodes featuring other Time Lords. Now, we are having a 64 companion tournament where old and new Who companions will square off with only one victory remaining. Blogger Siskoy, Tim from the Blue Beetle podcast, Corey, and the Irredeemable Shack will join me in this no-holds-barred tournament. If you want a chance to win a River Song box set autographed by Alex Kingston, go to straightoutagallifrey.blogspot.com and on Twitter at SoGallifrey. Amy Pond, download the bracket, Charlie, fill it out before Austin, May Captain 1st, 2017. Email it to me Nautil, at pridonian.post at gmail.com or send it to me at Twitter at SOGallifrey and you will have a chance to win. The air date for the tournament will be on Cinco de Mayo, 2017. Remember, somewhere there's danger, somewhere there's injustice, and somewhere else, the T is getting code. Come on, Ace, we've got work to do. All right, I'm back, and if you're listening to this episode on the day it comes out, happy May 4th to you, or as we say, may the 4th be with you. I haven't responded to listener feedback in a while, so I'm going to hit the last couple of episodes, starting with the feedback for episode 18, which was my State of the Union talk with Omar. And basically, all of the comments pertain to the fate of Princess Leia in the wake of Carrie Fisher's passing. Lucasfilm's position on the matter seemed a little nebulous in the weeks after Fisher's death, but at Celebration, Kathleen Kennedy said that Carrie Fisher will not appear in Episode 9. That means no CGI recreation, no archive footage. How that will be explained in Episodes 8 and 9 still remains to be seen, but until then, we will just have to speculate via the comments section. All of these comments, by the way, were left at the Fire and Water Network website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Instead of responding individually to each person, since all of the comments are on the same topic, I'm going to respond to the collective at the end. Uh, the first comment came from Rob Kelly, host of the Film and Water Podcast, among other shows here on the network. Rob said, While I agree there is no good option regarding Leia, I am a thousand percent against doing a digital recreation. It would be tasteless and creepy. What to do then depends heavily on what they had planned for the character in Episode 9. If her part was such that she can be removed entirely, and it doesn't wreck all of the other plot points and larger themes, then I would think writing the character out is the way to go. But if Leia plays a huge role in Episode 9, then I think the best tribute to the character, and the actress who brought her so vividly to life, is to recast. 
get someone so impeccably talented, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, that they bring the weight the character needs. Sure, it would be a thankless role for whoever they might get, but if done right, it could be looked at as a tribute to Carrie Fisher. But like you said, no good options here, just the least bad one. And then Jared Alberich, the yard sale artist, said, Rob's Leia thoughts are my exact Leia thoughts, so ditto. Uh, Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast and Batman Nightcast said, I really think they are going to have to write Leia out off-screen for Episode 9. Recasting her to me is not an option. Thankfully, they've said they won't resurrect Fisher with CGI, which would just seem ghoulish at this point. And if Leia suddenly dies on screen in an explosion while in a base or on a ship, that's going to take viewers right out of either Episode 8 if they reshoot or 9. David Ace Gutierrez, the executive producer of Pod Dylan, said, One day I'll tell you my Lucasfilm Star Tour story. It was pre-Disney buyout. Hey, standing invite, David. Come on the show and tell us all about it. Uh, Nathaniel Wayne from Council of Geeks and the Punch Like a Girl podcast left a passionate response, imagine that, saying, Let me be the one to say it. The best option is to have her die between movies. Yeah, yeah, I know you guys kind of dismissed that one out of hand, but hear me out. Let us accept that there is no way to truly do this properly, because that would have required Carrie Fisher being alive to do a planned exit for the character from the franchise, and that just can't happen. But since Episode 8 wasn't built to contain her death, trying to crowbar it in is likely going to throw the whole thing off its axis. Because you're right, it should be momentous. But even with reshoots, it can't be a major focus for the film, because whatever else the story was already doing still needs to be there. Trying to kill her off in Episode 9 isn't much better, because then we're into recasting or stand-ins or whatever. I honestly think that the best way to give her departure the momentousness it deserves in a way that doesn't derail either film is for her to pass away between films. Does that mean it's just in the crawl and we move on? Hell no. You open episode 9 with Leia's funeral. You start with characters in mourning. You let their grief be the grief of the audience, and to mirror it, because she went too soon, and not how anybody would have wanted. And, this brings it to the part that I really wanted to argue with you on, Ryan brought up how, depending on what happens in The Last Jedi, we may never have a confrontation between Leia and Kylo Ren, and what a loss that would be. I actually think that, narratively speaking, this offers a perfect opportunity for a turning point for Kylo Ren. By way of illustration, I'm going to reference my favorite anime film, Summer Wars. Without getting into too much detail, the film deals with the reunion of a very large family to celebrate the matriarch's 90th birthday. One of the plot points deals with the family Black Sheep, who was raised by this old woman, but now they have an extremely contentious relationship and he eventually storms off. Later, when she dies, he receives a call from his niece, and his immediate reaction, thinking it's just a general plea to come back, is to spit venom and to go on about the old bat. But once he's told that she died, he just stops, and all of that built-up anger washes away, and he melts down. He's suddenly hit with the fact that for all of their animosity, he no longer has a chance to reconcile, no chance to say goodbye, and he wasn't there. I can see this kind of moment for Ben Solo. The passing of his mother without having had that great confrontation he'd build up in his head, or any possibility of getting to say his piece, and realizing what his path down the dark side has truly cost him. This could be milked for truly powerful personal character drama, I think much more effectively than any scene with a recast actress could ever achieve. Brian Linton said, The more I think about it, the more I think Nathaniel might have the right idea. 
building on this, the story of her death could be told in a novel or comic book miniseries where it would have the time and space to be told properly. The story could be released in the months leading up to Episode 9. If handled well, it could be a cultural event on par with the Death of Superman storyline, which would be fitting for a princess. And then Brian came back later on to insist that he meant his comparison to the death of Superman in terms of the impact of a cultural icon, not in terms of windfall profit for the company. I understood exactly what you were saying, Brian, but thank you for clearing that up just in case anybody might have missed your point. Uh, Paul Hicks from the Doom Patrol podcast, Waiting for Doom, said, Like others, I feel strongly about not seeing modern-day Carrie Fisher manifest in CGI, so recasting would be far more preferable. But the more I think about it, the more I kind of want Star Wars to acknowledge Carrie Fisher's passing. It's not ideal, but what choice is? But opening Episode Nine with a funeral for Leia would be fitting. Uh, Jeff R. actually broke from the mold at first to speculate on the Han Solo movie, uh, and then he came back to add, As far as Leia, I suspect that we may get a couple of scenes added to the end of Episode 8, where Luke and Kylo each feel Leia's passing in the Force, and they'll leave the details to be revealed in Episode 9, assuming Luke makes it to the end of Episode 8. Uh, Siskoid from Gimme That Star Trek, First Strike, and other podcasts here on the network said, I'm with the universe that Leia should not appear in CG. I get very queasy about the whole thing of making actors replaceable. Uh, Siskoid then added, For me, Star Wars has never been better. As you know, I'm a Wars curmudgeon who respects the original trilogy's achievements, but thinks the franchise is largely overrated. The mainstream pap to the deep sci-fi geekery of Trek, Doctor Who, and the Legion of Superheroes. If you don't need to watch 700-plus hours of material to be up-to-date, it's just not worth it. But I haven't had this much fun in the galaxy far, far away since the first Star Wars film I saw, which was Empire. I liked the cast of Episode 7 a lot, and I really liked the idea of side stories. Huh, if you read between the lines, I think my problem was never with the universe itself. Hmm, yeah, you, you make it very easy to read between those lines, Siskoid. Very, very interesting. Uh, and finally, the irredeemable shag from Who's Who in the Legion, coming back this Sunday, said, I can't believe I'm typing this, but I agree with Nathaniel. Not that he convinced me of anything, goodness no, the ramblings of a madman. But I came to that same decision on my own. Having Leia die between the movies allows your imagination to build a better farewell than they can give us now. Think about how much backstory was built in A New Hope that we never saw, yet we imagined big. The same can be built for Leia. Like Nathaniel said, open with a funeral for Leia would be powerful. So, there's where people stand. Or, that's where people stood almost four months ago when I released that episode. Some people thought recasting was the least bad option. Others took up the side that Nathaniel championed, which is to kill her off off-screen and explain it in episode 9, while also using the untimeliness of Carrie Fisher's death to further the narrative arcs of characters like Ben Solo and maybe Luke Skywalker. Like I said at the beginning, Kathleen Kennedy said Carrie Fisher will not be in Episode 9, not through the use of archive footage or digital recreation. That's what she said at Celebration. Could she change her mind? Yes, but let's assume for now that she stays true to her statement. She did not definitively say no Leia in Episode 9, though it was suggested, I think. There is very narrow wiggle room that she could be recast, just because Kennedy didn't outright say we're not recasting the part. I think this confirms Lucasfilm's plan is close to Nathaniel's position, at least in part. 
unless they find a way to kill her in The Last Jedi, I think they will explain away her death between Episodes 8 and 9. Does that mean show her funeral and the characters dealing with a death in Episode 9? I don't know. Maybe. I kind of hope so. Is that the best way to go? I still don't know. Do you think it's too much to ask Lucasfilm to shoot Episode 9 three different ways with three different approaches to the problem? Then let me screen the three in private and decide which one I like best, and then that's the movie that gets shown to millions of people in 2019? I mean, if you think that's unrealistic, let me know in the comments. Uh, speaking of that, what did people have to say about the last episode where my brother Neil and I reacted to the teaser trailer for Star Wars The Last Jedi? Well, Chris Franklin said, Great episode. Welcome, Neil. I personally love your music. Nice to hear you here. Then Chris said, I think Luke's line of The Jedi Must End may refer to bringing true balance to the Force. Maybe the Jedi and the Sith both have to end at last, and something new will be created. It would tie into Kylo's potential redemption as well. But Rey better not turn. Millions of little girls, including my own, would be crushed. Yeah, I... I don't want Rey to turn to the dark side either, for several reasons, not the least of which is, I'm kind of bored with the Sith and Dark Jedi at this point. I know the classic lightsaber duel is a staple of Star Wars, it is built into the fabric of the franchise, but I would like to see at least one movie where the villain isn't evil red lightsaber guy. Surely the Jedi have faced other threats in the past besides that. Uh, Sphinx Magoo said, Maybe Luke is still depressed over the destruction of the new Jedi Temple, but maybe he also sees something about the conflicts that arise by having two extremes. It sure seems to me that he wants to build something new. Uh, from the end of The Force Awakens, I wouldn't think Luke wants to build anything. But by the end of The Last Jedi, however, I can see Rey convincing him to get up off his ass and get back in the game. And then, maybe he'll want to build a new school that's not Jedi, not Sith, but something else. We'll see. Uh, David Ace Gutierrez said, Ryan, curious. If this does have a big familial reveal at the end of it, just like in The Empire Strikes Back, do you think that would put you off any? Given the criticism that The Force Awakens is too narratively similar to Star Wars, something I understand but don't particularly regard as bad, would this be going to the same well too many times for you? Uh, it's hard to answer that question without knowing the details. I already know that certain elements of this movie will feel like echoes of The Empire Strikes Back, simply because such a significant part is the young hero training under an older master while a galactic civil war continues to threaten our other characters. Will the inclusion of character X is the son or daughter or niece or grandson of character Y, will that be too much? Not necessarily. I'm kind of expecting it, so I don't think it will ruin the movie for me unless A, it's just executed very poorly, or B, Rey is Luke's daughter. I, seriously, without knowing the specific context, I have a big problem with the idea that Luke is Rey's father. If that turns out to be true, Ryan Johnson and Kathleen Kennedy have got to complete a Hail Mary toss to make me accept and enjoy that revelation. So... I guess David, ask me again in January. Uh, Nathaniel said, I don't know how much conviction I have that what I'm about to lay out is actually the case, but it occurred to me while listening and I wanted to throw it out there. What if everybody who complained that Rey is too good with the Force that she becomes a Mary Sue has it backwards? What if Kylo Ren just isn't very gifted in the Force? I mean, think about it. You can see him strain whenever he does... 
pretty much anything Force-related. His lightsaber is janky, he's had years of training and yet was taken down by somebody just discovering her powers for the first time. We've all made this assumption that because he's part of the Skywalker lineage that he'll be this massive badass with the Force. He's clearly got the passion for it, but what if he just doesn't have that much natural skill in it? And what if Luke and Leia made the same mistake that we as the audience made? What if his parents poured all of these expectations of greatness into him, and Luke lavished all of this extra training attention on him because of who his parents are, but he just isn't the most talented? It's almost an inverse of Anakin. Rather than knowing he was super powerful and feeling like he was being held back, Ben Solo has been built up as this great thing, but just can't back up the hype. If that sank in over time, it would certainly feed that rage that he can't seem to keep a lid on. With a bit of pushing from Snoke, would it be that hard to make the leap from I'm not the greatest Force apprentice to, well, I would be if the other apprentices were dead? This would also feed into Snoke wanting Rey if he, like everybody else, made a false assumption and ended up with a lemon apprentice that he's now stuck with. I also think that this would justify Luke's apparent guilt much more, that if he hadn't filled Ben's head with expectations he couldn't live up to, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. It would make him much more directly culpable in what went down if, out of familial pride or whatever, he'd been going, no, really, Ben, you are a great Jedi, just keep at it, you'll get there, even while knowing in the back of his head Head that it wasn't true. Kylo Ren, Jedi school crap out, pissy little privileged, I was told I'd be the best whiny baby. A perfect villain for the modern times? Guess we'll find out. Whew, wow, okay. Um, everything that you said, Nathaniel, would be plausible if not for the very first thing that we see Kylo Ren doing in The Force Awakens. Well, actually, it's the second thing. The first thing he does in The Force Awakens is execute Max von Sydow, which prompts Poe Dameron to shoot at him with a blaster rifle. The second thing Kylo Ren does is stop the energy blast in midair three meters from him, and then hold the energy particle suspended in the air for two minutes while he has a conversation, and then orders the whole village slaughtered. To me, that doesn't seem like something the George W. Bush of Jedi Knights could do, but as you said, we will find out. Uh, Siskoid said, The end line could be taken out of context, shaming Rey's lack of discipline, for example, but I hope it heralds the creation of a third Force warrior that works towards balance as opposed to light or dark. Uh, as I mentioned to Siskoid on the comments, I am cool with either of those explanations. Jeff R. said, As far as Rey goes, I'll take the extreme long-shot pick. Yoda's daughter or direct descendant. <laughs> Yoda, in this theory, is human. When he said, When 900 years old you are, see if you look so good. He was being literal. Looking like Yoda is what happens after using the Force to live for centuries. <laughs> I love that theory. Uh, yeah, Jeff, I am crossing my fingers for that one. Uh, Rob Kelly said, This did exactly what a teaser is supposed to. Fleeting images and a hint of the major thrust of the film, no more than that. I like how, by letting us hear Luke, it lowers the expectations for what his first words will be. After all, there are no words they could come up with that could live up to the two years of fevered fanboy imaginings. Now that we've heard him already, the first words don't need to be the most amazing thing ever. Hey, that's why I asked the question on the new version of the quiz. Uh, Rob also said, I find all of Johnson's three previous films to be worthwhile, Brick, Brothers Bloom, and Looper. Even when I don't think they completely work, they're never boring and anything less than engaging. I'm heartened by the news he wrote both episodes 8 and 9. 
Uh, Mark Baker Wright said, I pretty much know before I even type this that this will be an unpopular opinion, but I already consider this the best episode yet simply for cutting off that awful bad karaoke theme before it got started this time. Never has there been another podcast that has so tempted me to stop listening to it entirely on the basis of its theme. You know, at first I had no idea what Mark was talking about, thinking the episode he was referring to was Star Wars Episode Eight, also known as The Last Jedi. Then I figured out he meant the last episode of the podcast, and that awful bad karaoke theme. Uh, speaking of that awful bad karaoke theme, one of the voices contributing to it, the irredeemable Shag, said, Not sure how to explain it, but your coverage put me in some sort of zen-like state, and I had a revelation. These numbered movies are all about the Skywalker legacy. Of course Ray is a Skywalker. Duh. We've been thinking, rethinking, and overthinking this. We all assumed from the trailers that she is the daughter of Han and Leia. We were probably right. We've just been overanalyzing this. They want us wondering and thinking about the mystery. She's got to be of Skywalker descent. That's the only thing that makes sense. Then her and Ben's rivalry will be based on family, just like Star Wars should be. Bottom line, Rey is a Skywalker, probably Leia and Han's daughter. However, we just don't know yet how she ended up so far away from her family, and we keep talking ourselves out of that obvious answer. It will all make sense after Episode 9. Hmm, we shall see. Dr. Ange said, I think that Jedi must end line means there is going to be some fundamental shift in the Force and how it is used. There will be a time of peace. We won't need knights anymore. The Jedi will end because there won't be a need for folks wielding swords anymore. As for this movie, I get the sense we will get a Ray, I am your mother moment. It is a new world, but we will still riff on the old. And finally, Rift said, As everyone has already said, this trailer did its job perfectly. Got us more intrigued, but did not really give anything away. What did we learn from it, and what does it mean in terms of the ongoing Star Wars story? Well, I simply have no freaking idea. So many theories and suggestions that when you hear them, all have credible aspects and sort of sound like they could be right. So many, in fact, that I can't decide which theory to put my money on. I would be a terrible gambler. So I'm going to be very boring and say, we will just have to wait and see. Wait and see. Rift is right. I've said it a couple of times already tonight, and that seems like an appropriate place to wrap up this episode. Once again, I would like to thank Drew Holmes for being my guest this time. Thank you, everybody, for leaving comments on the website. Thanks to everyone who promotes the show on Facebook or Twitter. Everyone who leaves an iTunes review. I'm going to try. I make no promises, but I'm going to try to push out a few more episodes of this show in the next two months. Wish me luck. And until next time... Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can also find me on Twitter at ryandaily01, or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Part of the theme music for this podcast is performed by the Evil Genius Orchestra from their album Star Wars Cocktails in the Cantina, available for purchase on iTunes and at Amazon Music. That and all other music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening, and may the Fourth be with you.
I said to George, you can type this stuff, <laughs> but you can't say it. Move your mouth while you're talking, while you're typing it. And I couldn't say it. It took me like 15 takes. Uh, uh, it's such a pleasure to see you. And uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to see you. At your first celebration. believe we managed to keep it a secret, considering you landed your plane on I-4. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, but it was a good landing. <laughs> uh, how did Star Wars impact you 40 years ago? What does it mean to you today? Oh, it's made no difference in my life whatsoever. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.